Okay, so hey, uh, you guys, hey, we're we're uh, here with Robert Parker. Hi, Robert. I'm just saying hi real quick. Might see, people can, might see you on the screen there. Um, and of course, we are in the middle of a, of a week of buzz regarding the, the Bronco um, and the legacy returning after uh, so many decades. So it's a very exciting time. We're here talking with Robert Parker, who has a long history with Ford, a long career until relatively recently, and also a rich um, Ford Bronco history as well. Before we jump into some questions, hey, Robert, uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about, about yourself, your passion for the Ford, uh, Ford Bronco? Hello to both of you. It's, uh, it's an honor to speak with you guys. I always enjoy um, you know, speaking to both of you. Um, been around Broncos for a very long time. As you mentioned, I worked for Ford Motor Company for uh, 30 years. Um, before that, I grew up in the Phoenix area. Um, my parents were school teachers. My father uh, was in the Mustangs. So uh, in the spring, he would buy a Mustang. We'd spend the summer fixing it, fixing it up, restoring it, repairing it, and then he would um, sell it hopefully for a profit. So I uh, cut my teeth on Mustangs. Uh, my mom drove a 65 Mustang for 30 years. My dad drove a 66 that I still have. And my first car was a 67. So we were a Mustang family. I always loved Broncos. Of course, Arizona was a big market for Broncos. Um, grew up in that on any Sunday generation, you know, inspired by the movie and and rode dirt bikes every day after school. We lived on the edge of town, or what was the edge of town back then. So I had the whole desert uh, to roam, and uh, that was my after-school activity. But Broncos were just not something my father, you know, had a need for. He needed a car to, to commute back and forth to work. And um, so Mustangs were the chosen ride, but uh, always had in my mind that I was going to get a Bronco when I had the opportunity. And about a year into my career at Ford, I was a field representative. Uh, you know, when you start out with Ford uh, in sales and marketing, they send you to these remote areas of the country. So I was uh, in a remote area of Mississippi on a Friday and a person was trading in a Bronco, 77 Bronco on a 91 Explorer, which was the hottest uh, product in the market back then. They were just launching the Explorer and um, and they were trading in a Bronco. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and bought it. That was my first Bronco. And since then, I've had 12. I have wow. three right now. Uh, my daily driver is a 92 Bronco. Um, I have a 72 in the garage that I just got the motor back in and uh, now putting the front clip back on. And I have a 79 Bronco that, uh, that I'm trying to get running. I bought um, in the mountains of North Georgia. And um, now I'm trying to get a running, which uh, it's, it's just uh, therapy for me um, and feel very uh, blessed to be working on something uh, like the Bronco brand and um, share my passion uh, with the enthusiasts and, and hopefully some of your listeners as well. And then tell us just a little bit about your career with Ford and and just for people to know where you started and where you went with it and where you're at now. Yeah, so I spent most of my time in sales and marketing and sales and marketing at Ford is divided up into not only those two categories, but within marketing, they have consumer marketing, which is direct from the company to the end user. And then they have what they call product marketing. Product marketing is more inward facing. So you're taking insights from consumers and data and and um, taking that into the product development community to inform decisions made in the engineering process. And I was very fortunate um, early in my career to make the move from um, a traditional sales and marketing role into product marketing. And that's where I spent uh, a big bulk of my career. I had the opportunity to work in Europe and Asia and had the opportunity when Ford owned the premium brands to work at uh, Volvo and Jaguar and ultimately at Land Rover, which, you know, was a great indoctrination uh, to learn the other side of, of off-roading, their take on it from a unique European perspective. And, and certainly, you know, many would say, oh, it's, there's a lot of similarities, but 
quite honestly, there's some very important nuances that I think a lot of your um, members would appreciate and and learned just a ton from Land Rover. And first and foremost, you know, their passion for the brand and, and that really inspired me. And so combining that, obviously it was easy to get into Defenders and, and Discoveries and other products of the day and the Range Rover, Range Rover Sport were coming on the scene. So I worked in a planning function then, worked on Ford model planning, went back to Ford in the early 2000s, uh, back to Michigan. Worked in uh, our SUV strategy. And believe it or not, in 01, we had uh, a program that was uh, all new Ford Bronco that uh, made it all the way to what they call program approval, which is in essence, the, the board of Ford Motor Company essentially um, allocating the funding so that it moves from planning into engineering. We had a full property, uh, had it you know, at research and uh, unfortunately, at that time, the company with uh, Volvo introducing XC90s and 60s mm. and 40s on the horizon, and then Land Rover having, you know, SUVs. And at that time, Jaguar, believe it or not, I know one was lobbying for an SUV. And so the company said, you know what, we have too many SUVs. Uh, we're we're going to cancel the Bronco program. So unfortunately, that went back into the vault and. Um, you know, it wasn't until the last few years that you started to hear news and rumblings of, of a new SUV. And from there, uh, moved back into consumer marketing, uh, became the car marketing manager for Ford and spent several years working on Mustang. And that was fantastic, getting to work directly with the launch of the Ford GT and then ultimately the Chevy GT500 and 350 and derivatives thereof, the Bullet, uh, which, you know, going to work every day, you had to pinch yourself and, uh, you know, it's just <laughs> couldn't believe that I would fortunate enough to be doing something that I would have done for free. But uh, was a car marketing manager for um, three years, uh, then moved into a general management role and then went to China to launch Lincoln. And it was a ground up brand new uh, Launch of the brand wasn't sold in China. And so we had to build a dealer network, establish a brand and develop a unique selling proposition. Um, and ultimately build what began as eight dealers and then uh, went to 30, 60. Now there's uh, over a hundred. Started off that first two months selling a thousand cars. And then the next year, um, you know, upwards of 20,000. And then, you know, the sky's really the limit uh, until recently with uh, some of the things that have been going on. But, uh, yeah. That's kind of a fly through, maybe more than you wanted to know, but uh, very blessed to have spent uh, time, 30 years in a company that I admired as a kid. And um, one of the happiest days of my professional life was uh, was getting a job there and enjoyed every year and every assignment. So we've, wow. we've talked several times now. We've had more than a few conversations. And every time... Every, every time we get a little bit more out of you as far as what you actually did. And I had no idea about the Mustang time period. That sounds like it was a fun time to be involved with that brand. Well, yeah, look at the smile on his know, face. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I not in any way to tie it into the magnitude of the moment, but you know, the, the Ford versus Ferrari really brought to light thankfully, Carol Shelby's personality. And uh, growing up as a kid, you know, reading Motor Trend magazines, dreaming about, you know, that was just out of my father's uh, league as far as, you know, buying Mustangs, but to dream about and learn about and read about Carol Shelby and then to be sitting in meetings and sitting at dinner table and lunch tables with him talking about the heyday and, and hearing his thoughts. I mean, he truly was a uh, an amazing personality and uh, everything that, you know, that was depicted in the movie uh, around his personality, I thought was spot on. He just was one of those unique individuals that you meet in life where everybody that spent time around him felt like they were his best friend. And he just had that charisma and appeal that drew people in and um, just had that American can-do spirit and yeah. we could use a lot more of that. Yeah. Right on. Man, I, I can't, I, I would have the, I would have the 
tape recorder running if I ever had an opportunity like that, I'll tell <laughs> mm -hmm. you for sure. Yeah, well, from our perspective, oh, just sorry, from well, from from our perspective, you know, as as consumers, um, at least for me, you know, really having very little knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes to bring a brand new vehicle to market, hearing some of uh, the experience that you've had is 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 pretty is pretty amazing. I uh, can't imagine that that journey. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of things in motion to make that happen. It was interesting the first. First product job that I got uh, was uh, sent to Europe to represent a car that's being engineered in Europe, but uh, going to be exported and sold in the U.S. And about uh, 30 days into the job, they canceled the U.S. program. So then I became the European consumer representative, having only been to Europe once. So, um, <laughs> you know, Ford had a way of uh, stretching you. And, um, you know, I always liked that. And, and they were very open-minded to give people opportunities. And if you uh, rose to the challenge, they'd give you more. Well, let's get into the topic at hand. And let's start with Bronco history. This. There's so much. I mean, there's so much. There's almost like a, a, a well, from my perspective over the last week and, you know, truthfully, maybe over the last month or so, um, I've been recognizing this almost palpable feeling that there's a demand that hasn't been met. <laughs> and it's this Bronco, you know, the Bronco, you know, the, the Bronco history and watching it come back to market. People are really excited by it. Um, yeah, let's Well, and talk. inspired too. And it, yeah. So where, what are the origins? What is the, yeah. what is the story of how the Bronco was born? Well, um, I'll, I'll uh, try to be brief. Uh, <laughs> my, father, my father was a history teacher, so there was a lot of uh, discussions around the dinner table. So um, when you asked him about history, he gave you a uh, very long and comprehensive answer. So I'll try to be more <laughs> diligent. Um, but that being said, you do have to understand the context to which Bronco was brought to life. And that was an era Ford was... You know, the 50s were obviously a, a very important um, era in automotive and quite frankly, just about everything built was sold coming out of World War II. But towards the end of the 50s and into the early 60s, Ford was not really, um, you know, making the decisions and was not very successful and was way off the market in many cases in the early 60s. If you go back and look at some of the designs and decisions, it was struggling. And uh, enter in Henry Ford II, you know, he takes over the company. Um, he uh, hires the whiz kids, the whiz kids come to life and not only did some amazing things at Ford Motor Company, but went on to do amazing things for America in many cases. So those same people who brought the Mustang and even before the Mustang products like the Falcon that gave, you know, um, a platform and an ability to proliferate products like the Econoline van and the Mustang and ultimately a whole range of products, Fairlane. Um, Bronco was another one of those products where uh, coming on the heels of what they knew was going to be a runaway success with Mustang, you know, here comes um, a product where they looked at the segment and I was able to go through Thankfully, the archives has the documents on the business plan. And, you know, a lot of times business plans are way off on volumes uh, and way off on the market, but it was a very conservative business plan. It was done on a shoestring, the engineering. The challenge was to go into the Ford system and use parts that were existing and, and only invest in areas where it made the vehicle better. So the seats are out of a 60, uh, mid 60s Mustang. <laughs> You know, the steering column is out of an F-100, the IP is out of an Econoline van, because those things didn't matter back then. What mattered was capability. Um, what mattered was that it was more comfortable going down the road. And at that time, you had Jeeps that had canvas tops. You had Scouts that were pretty crude and, you know, the transmissions, top speed, highway performance, lagging, ride, compliance uh, left a little to be desired. 
So Bronco excelled in all those areas. And I think it was kind of a modern day decathlete. It did a lot of things really well, maybe one or two areas it really exceeded like most decathletes. And then every other area was very competitive. And if you spend any time around a product development area in a company, it's pretty hard to do that. But the definition was uh, very clear. What it was set to do in the marketplace was very clear. And I think that uh, Don Fry, Lee Iacocca, who pitched it to the board, we all know who Lee Iacocca is. For those of you who know Ford's history, Don Fry, uh, Donald Fry was an incredible um, you know, leader and planner. He was you know, right there on the Mustang and other key products, uh, but he was one of the key individuals that steered that vehicle through the product development process. The original designer who came up with the concepts of what it would look like taking this inspiration and drawing it was a African-American designer, the very first in the industry um, to work as a designer, was hired by Ford and he worked on Broncos. There's a lot of interesting tidbits um, you know, uh, around Bronco. And then here it comes into market, you know, August 11th, 1965, it's introduced as a 66 model. Again, you see all the influence in the advertising of Mustang because it was a runaway success. So it's a four wheel drive sports car was a tagline. <laughs> Again, you see Mustang's influence in the branding and coming up with Bronco, um, as a nameplate and even the horse and the inspiration that you see in the advertising, you could tell was heavily influenced by Mustang. And it was gonna be America's first four wheel drive sports car. And they show families using the vehicle to go to a shopping center. And then they see, you know, traditional roles, fathers using it in ranching or commercial use. So I think you could argue and point back in, in, the, in the industry and, and certainly in Ford's history and say that was the formal kickoff or start of SUVs and that command driving position that is, you know, maybe subconscious to many, but so important to most to feel like you're in control of the vehicle and the landscape and the highway or the environment that you're in. That era ushered that in and it's still there today. That position of where the seat is relative to the dash and raising that position, sit on mm. versus sit in technology is something that um, every single SUV has today, but none have them back then. It sounds like all of this ties into the next <coughs> question, which is, well, what are your thoughts on why Bronco has such a lasting legacy? And the nostalgia factor is incredibly high, but everything you just described from its origins points, points to that. That's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's certainly been one uh, that has been talked about in a hundred marketing, marketing meetings. <laughs> <after that. laughs> but I think I, I boil it down to, you know, and you could go through a list of great brands. Um, they focus on a few things and do them extremely well. Um, there are trade-offs in every single product. And I was having this debate with somebody online two days ago who tracked me down. Um, they can't be all things to all people. They have to have a point of view and they have to stick with that point of view. And I think Bronco did that very well. It wasn't trying to be uh, something for everyone. It had trade-offs. There's certainly imperfections in the product, but it stayed true to form and it stayed that way for 30 years. And I think the new one just went and looked at that and said, okay, we're going to take all of those things and modernize them. So, I think it's it's really understanding who you are and then delivering on those things, but then they have to be relevant in the marketplace. Um, let's face it, the things that that Bronco was relevant for, you know, um, it came a time when they were advanced or evolved into people haulers, and then that became something that was important. But the memories, uh, the places that it took you, the stories, mm -hmm. That's the one common thread that I hear from enthusiasts and owners of Broncos and when I would go to Mustang events. Everybody had a Mustang story, you know, first car I owned, first car I drove, first dates, weddings, you know, there was always a memory around Mustang and Broncos the same way. First time I went off-roading, first time I drove a column shift vehicle, 
um, all kinds of memories. My grandfather had one, my father had one. And those memories were around events or experiences. Mm -hmm. And that is that common theme where those events or those experiences become part of who you are in your brain, mold and shape who you are in your thinking. And those are memories that are not forgotten. You know, going on a country square wagon uh, to the local mall in the 70s is probably not going to, you know, foster a lot of memories. Uh, but going off-roading for the first time in a Bronco and being in the backseat bouncing around, mm -hmm. that is something that people will identify with their whole life. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned... I totally did that with my grandfather. Yep, I have my own stories. <laughs> Sleeping bags in the back of the truck. Yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, you'd mentioned... Um, knowing your point of view and, and sticking with it. Uh, and certainly when you hear from a consumer perspective, um, Bronco is coming back. The first thing, at least the first thing that I thought of was, you know, you, <clears throat> there's a lot, there's a lot with that statement, right? Because you do have this her heritage. You do have this history of the Ford Bronco. Um, and so there's the question, are they going to stick with that viewpoint? Are they going to update the, the, the viewpoint of that product? Is it going to be what we want out of the Ford Bronco? And what I've seen is, is that the, the, um, the point of view being true to that initial heritage seems mm -hmm. to have been retained. And I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I think that's a very important um, perspective. And I think... You're spot on. I, you know, I'm going to pick on Ford for a minute. You compare and contrast the Bronco with the Thunderbird. You know, the Thunderbird had, you know, in its day back in the early 2000s, very similar amount of buzz and hype, but there just wasn't a market for it. So the 20,000 people that wanted one bought one, but then it wasn't relevant to the rest of the population. It was just simply bringing back a memory. Mm -hmm that was near and dear to a few people. And other people appreciated the story of, you know, the Thunderbird, but it, it doesn't really meet my needs. Bronco, I think the evolution does two things. One, it delivers all of what used to be important to Bronco into the 21st century. And it, oh, by the way, SUVs are more popular than ever. Mm -hmm. So Ford may have been a little bit ahead of the curve, you know, 55 years ago, but now it's come full circle and probably even gone even further to where more than 50%, I mean, 20 years ago, we were projecting that SUVs would take over and it took a little longer, but more than 50% of the vehicles on the road, probably closer to 60 now are trucks. Yep. And it does look like it's going to get, um, you know, any lower than that. But also technology's moved on. I mean, yeah. This standing fuel economy, the range on my 77 was 108 miles. <laughs> um, it was built from the factory with a 10.8 gallon tank. <laughs> so yeah. you get out, you know, you get out of West Texas, which I was in that thing, and it's 100 miles to a gas station, you know, you're white knuckling it <laughs> to El Paso. So, you know. But this vehicle yeah. with, uh, you know, an boost engine, you know, my, my 72 in the garage stock five liter, and there's a lot of buzz going around about that now a V8, but my stock V8 has 170 horsepower, 180 horsepower. And here you have, you know, 2.7 liter EcoBoost. It's going to have 310 horsepower more uh, torque yeah. and 351. So, so. Yep. That and just the fact that it's going to be incredibly safe. Five-star safety rating, rollover, all the things that, you know, I don't personally like to have my family in these older vehicles because I just get nervous that, you know, they're not crash-worthy. Yeah. So um, certainly Bronco will have all the chops in, in the safety department because there's few better than Ford at that. Yeah. Now, I, I stopped myself from diving into the Bronco. I want to make sure we're, we go through our, our topics, but I, my oh, that's head what's is up. full that's of... What's up. That's, <laughs> the next bullet point is thoughts and reactions about the new lineup. Yeah. 
Well, you just mentioned the the in, the incredibly efficient EcoBoost, and you know, there's the 2.3, and then there's the V the the V6, um, and arguably the smaller engine with the crawl gear may be the most interesting off-road combination. But you know, I was really relating. I've drive the the 80 series Land Cruiser that that gets a startling 12 miles to the gallon. No. You know, ten. Well, you know, I like to get, nine. You know, <laughs> but certainly those those efficiencies and modern conveniences, you know, applied to an adventure lifestyle is is certainly a, a, a major benefit and bonus. <laughs> Again, um, you know, whether it's a, a choke issue, mechanical issue, last year. I was at an event in Buena Vista and, and we're out wheeling and you inevitably something breaks. Um, and that's part of the fun, you know, if you're into that type of thing, but the average consumer isn't mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, they want something that they can get in and it's going to start every single time. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got five cars that nobody in the family can drive because they don't know how to start them <laughs> or they don't know how to ship them. Um, but that Bronco, you know, anybody in the family, whether it's my 16 year old daughter or, you know, my wife going to be able to get in and fire up and, uh, there's something to be said for that. And then when you get to the trails, you know, you're going to have things like stay bar disconnect. Yep. Um, you're going to have, uh, mapping features and you're going to have cameras, you know, to help you get over obstacles. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have all of the traction technology. You don't have to be an expert on the throttle. You don't have to be a, you know, a scientist in tire technology or rubber compounds uh, because all of that hard work was done, you know, on the proving grounds and, and testing this product. So it's going to be one of those things that out of the box, depending on what series you order, is going to be able to accomplish whatever you need it to accomplish. accomplish. Yeah. Now on that, on that topic, we, we have our, I believe uh, we have our four uh, trim packages and then we have seven different variants uh, depending on what you feel your your style of, of driving will be. You'll be able to select. Um, what what would uh, what would Robert Parker build out of these these variants? Um, which way would you would you go in terms of configuring your own your own Bronco? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the easy wimpy answer is just say first edition, which is uh, <laughs> me just me just being transparent because that's um, that's the one. And and I mentioned to Corey in a separate conversation that um, partly because of my job in my career. I've, I've never owned a new car. I've never bought a new car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Surprising I to me. Put in an order for a Bronco. So that Hit kind on. of shows you, um, you know, where I'm at voting with my own dollars. Mm -hmm. um, so I, what I find intriguing and I was talking to um, some people about this earlier today is Ford has moved into an era where they're moving out of conventional nomenclature, where you have this hierarchy of good, better, best, we used to call it, you know, XLT, XLT, Lariat, mm -hmm. King Ranch. And they're moving in a direction of, let's go out and understand who's gonna buy this. And this, let's mm -hmm. create packages and, and imagery and lifestyles that deliver on that. And there was a bit of that back in the day. I mean, Bronco was the first product to, along with F-Series, they have Ranger, which ultimately became a nameplate and had Explorer, which ultimately became a nameplate. So they're experimenting with this back then. And then ultimately, you know, cross promotions with Eddie Bauer and things. Bronco, you know, was one of the key uh, facilitators of that. But I really applaud the Ford team because they studied owners. And if you're somebody living on the beach, you know, Outer Banks, um, hose out marine interiors that don't uh, mildew, mm -hmm. um, you know, floors that can be hosed out, washed out, um, wiring looms that are moved up, uh, doors that can be removed. I was, I was told 
earlier today that uh, in a in a study done by Ford, it was eight minutes to remove four doors. Um, I can tell you that other products I've had that doors could be taken off of it wasn't eight minutes. Um, so uh, I, I think it's more or it's less, Michael, for me about all of the features because there's a million of them and I'm not smart enough to retain them all, but it's the ability to make it my own. And that's probably another area of Bronco that I think um, a lot of people appreciate is, you know, Mustangs, everybody was trying to get it back to original. So all of your time was spent researching, you know, torque specifications, was this bolt painted, was this undercoated markings on, you know, parts and components underneath the vehicle. And Bronco's about, I want to make it my own. I'm mm -hmm. Painted a color that I like. I'm going to put an interior in it that I like. And so I think the Ford team, to their credit, listened to research and applied that to the new vehicle and said, we're going to allow people to make it their own. And then went to details around the bolts. All the bolts you take off are branded. And, you know, a year ago at SEMA, I was at SEMA, um, you know, running a vintage uh, enthusiast display. But I know Ford was meeting with aftermarket suppliers, you know, over a year ago, mm -hmm. just sharing with them the direction they're going to get that market ready. So um, I feel like that they've really done a lot of homework to try to get there. And again, I am a bit of a homer, but I can't appreciate the evolution of where Ford's thinking was, which was more conventional, hierarchical to lifestyle driven. Yeah. Because Corey's needs and your needs are going to be different than mine. Right. And to not put that and not to not box that up into a, like you said, into a tier where it's just, it's more level, right? It's not about good, better, best. It's about functionality, form following function. And it, well, I was, you know, going through the, the, the options and it's really appropriate too. I mean, you think about, mm -hmm. okay, I'm investing. And in, in the case of Bronco, you may be investing in, um, your experience in the great outdoors, those memories that you're going to create, uh, the specific lifestyle you're going to pursue, and it's appropriate to have those options. There is there is quite an array, quite a matrix of, of different things that you can do, but if you're making that investment, you're going to take the time and you have the capability to fine-tune it, as you were saying, Robert. Um, yeah, and it, uh, to that end, I think it's, you know, it's not what you buy, it's what you buy into. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, bought into this notion, certainly in this category. And I feel like some of these packages will give you the inspiration to buy into, uh, you know, a Badlands. I mean, yeah. I, I, I would mm -hmm. see you or Corey in a Badlands. Mm -hmm. And I think that with a Sasquatch, you know, again, clever marketing. You know, I think, uh, you know, the rumor is, or the, the folklore is that Sasquatch had, you know, 35 inch feet. So they, you know, <laughs> tie that to the 35 inch tire. So, you know, clever things like that, that'll help you to remember. And um, again, it may be, you know, over the top for some, but uh -huh. I, I think there'll be a lot of people standing around trailheads talking about, well, do you have the Badlands and the Sasquatch and the Haas? No, I think yeah. some people enjoy. Some people enjoy that. Well, you 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 know, spoiler, you nailed you nailed our build. <laughs> except Wait. I except I have to get the bash plates from the di black diamond edition. I got to bring those bash plates over. <laughs> I, we're four door black diamond. We're, we'll change that. <laughs> <laughs> well, front sway bar disconnects. Well, you can change. The, the reservations just open. Your okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, okay. <laughs> my, my, mother, uh, my mother ordered, my mother's 78 and she ordered a Bronco as well. Aww. And um, she ordered uh, Outer Banks, and, which was really funny. But um, Very cool. she was worried colors and, you know, she yeah. laid awake overnight, worried about the color she picked. I'm like, Mom, you can change the color. Don't worry, color, don't worry. So, <laughs> you're, you're okay. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, backing up the um, backing up the tent, it, the intent of having um, this customizable uh, platform for you. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the appropriate way to put it is, but 
you know, money where your mouth is. They're not just labels. They are actually, they have different style mm -hmm. differences and it cannot be a straightforward proposition to make the Sasquatch um, uh, uh, mechanical uh, trim package available on each and every platform. I can have a base model Bronco. I can outfit it with the Sasquatch options, which is, you know, for those listening, 35 inch tires, uh, you know, lockers front and rear, a Bilstein suspension system. Um, there, I know there's a few other things in there, but it's a real um, uh, capable off-road package. Lockers front and rear as part of the package. That's mm -hmm. that's so that that's pretty great. You know, if you can choose any variant, and then if you want to step it up, as you were saying, you can add that Sasquatch to it uh, as well. One of the exciting things, looking back again on my experience, is that because they're taking reservations, that information is going to feed you know, um, the planning function and the purchasing function and the manufacturing function. Um, let's face it, I, I don't remember what, what the exact numbers were, but it was somewhere above 90% of vehicles were sold off the lot. So this is a very different approach. If you have all of your commodity intel up front, then you have a much better chance of meeting consumer demand. If you're right. just guessing. Um, it's pretty hard to meet demand, and that's where people, many of, many uh, consumers are forced into a, maybe a series or a color they didn't want, but it was the closest fit. So they're like, okay, we'll take this one, and then you regret it for the whole ownership cycle. Yeah. Right. You're absolutely informing the consumer demand with this process for we sure. We should we should probably do a quick yeah. disclaimer that we're a one vehicle car. This is uh, we're a, we're a one vehicle family. This is in no way, any way, shape, or form connected to Ford. We are just <laughs> talking shop. I just want to make sure people know. Like, we have to tell people, no, this is not a promotion. No, we're, we're just really out. excited. We're genuinely nerding out yeah. on this launch no, of these vehicles. And seriously, like this is the first, the first um, uh, uh, launch in uh, in many years uh, for for overlanding adventure type vehicles that have made me you know lift my head up out of my cornflakes and go whoa uh -huh. what hey what is what is this uh -huh. we got here it's it's pretty it's pretty darn exciting um you know i it's it's pretty cool yeah it's okay <laughs> we, we didn't we're not giving you a discount. Giving you a discount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. right. No, Wait, it's what? Fine. Pensioners, pensioners like me out there, depending on you guys, pay full retail. <laughs> hey, okay. one of the topics that we had, Robert, while we have you here, is some of the um, some of the uh, Bronco history, um, the interesting obscure, stories, obscure, obscure stories history. that you may have gathered through your your time with Bronco. And you're gonna have some... to show that coffee cup too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of, uh, one of the COVID experiences, um, you know, I've been paying for upholstery work for, uh, going on 30 years and, um, you know, we're all locked, locked up. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to give this a go myself. Um, so I took my seats apart cause they needed to be reupholstered ordered, um, reproduction covers for them. And, and taking my seats apart, I found that cup that was deposited by a uh, factory worker in 1972. And uh, ironically, it says on it, uh, safety starts by being careful. <laughs> and it's right, right, right from the Ford commissary. So um, I don't know, probably unsafe to keep it, but it was so, um, so funny that, uh, that I did. But now, there's a lot of stories with Bronco. Um, some of my favorite are barn finds, you know, that's been made popular by TV shows. But um, when my kids were very little, uh, they wouldn't sleep unless I was driving around in a car. So I would drive around in the country and see the front end or back end of a Bronco protruding from a barn or something like that and um, make note of it and go back. And um, so, you know, family vacations where I rented a U-Haul and towed a Bronco home. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, right now my um, 
my wife. I started with one parking space in our garage and uh, at one point all three stalls were taken by parts, um, you know, in the garage. So uh, my stories would be, um, you know, ones that I put a fun twist on. Their stories might be um, from another angle. I suspect you share many of those type of stories where, you know, a hobby um, is a passion yeah. and I'm very blessed and that that hobby uh, intersects with um, how I've been able to make a living and, you know, hopefully um, I'm able to share those experiences um, with other people and, and they can learn from them. But yeah, I could uh, go on and on. But the enthusiast community for Broncos is very different than Mustang. Mustang was a lot of static type interactions. And uh, that's the thing I've enjoyed the most about Broncos. The events that I go to, they're putting the vehicles to work. Mm -hmm. And um, they're getting out and they're doing things in the vehicles. And, uh, you know, a lot of Mustangs and, you know, the one that I have that was my father's, I've restored. And, and it just does homecoming parades and stuff like that. Um, but the Broncos, people uh, rock crawl and get out. I'll be in back in Buena Vista next week in Moab. We're going to do a run from Buena Vista to Moab. And it's going to be Very cool. Um, one, supposed to be one Bronco from every generation. And, you know, that's that's part of the fun. You get you get much closer as a team when you're having to solve problems together. And so I hope we don't lose that esprit de corps, if you will, mm -hmm. um, you know, when we get to the new ones, but that being said, it's going to be accessible. You know, you, you gotta, you're not going to have to take toolboxes and mechanics with you and extra parts <laughs> when you got a new Bronco, but many of your um, listeners and fans can associate with, you know, half your cargo capacity being tied up by, tools and spare parts. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, let's get into, let's get, let's, yeah. let's cut to the chase here. You can only pick one. What is your favorite Bronco of all time? Only one. Well, the easy answer would be the gen ones, which are 66 to 77, but I've, I've really uh, evolved my thinking in the last year to the 78 and nine, which are the first full-size Broncos. Um, I don't know what it is that era of, of marketing, you know, they introduced a, what they called a freewheeling package. That was when Ford had Farrah Fawcett on the payroll and you know, there was a lot of product placements <laughs> in Charlie's Angels uh -huh. and <laughs> Canon and all those shows that we used to watch. You know, where every car was a Ford, um, Clint Eastwood movies. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's just my reliving my childhood. But uh, I went skiing. My uncle was a, um, a salesman at a Ford dealer for 42 years. And uh, we would go snow skiing. And he would always bar take Bronco uh, as a demo. And um, it was in that same era. So maybe it's that connection. But uh, that's why I'm anxious to get my 79 back on the road. I think I saw a video uh, over there on on YouTube, uh, which was some of the things to to look out for if you're thinking about oh, the fifth gen. Yeah, if you're thinking yeah, about yeah, I saw that over at Bronco Nation. That's a great video. Um, it really is. <laughs> it's it's Bronco specific. Um, top ten, top five or ten things to look for if you're considering buying a Bronco uh, to steer you in the right direction. It's a great video. Yeah, you know, I'm going to give you a different answer than my wife would. She's a CFO of the family, and she would say these are the top ten mistakes my husband's made. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ask me why I know. <laughs> You're right. Um, no, that's just part of the fun. Uh, you know, this '79 that I bought was behind somebody's house in North Georgia, and. You know, getting a cable down there and trying to pull a 4,400-pound vehicle up a mud hill um, in a rainstorm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's stories like that that you sit around the campfire and tell. And then last weekend, you know, the car hasn't ran for 10 years. Last weekend, we were uh, a couple of 
uh, friends of mine were helping me and, you know, three mechanics told me I needed a new motor and we just went through shop 101. Uh, and anyway, about two hours into it, we discovered the previous owner had installed the distributor backwards. So it was 180 degrees off in the timing. Yeah. So fun stories. I mean, to some that's misery to me, that's exciting, you know, like uh -huh. to solve a problem like that, to not just throw away a motor, you know, and have it go into, um, some junkyard, but to revive a vehicle, put it back on the road and be the first one to drive it in 10 years. I don't know. I get a, a tremendous joy from that. In my 72, I got a file this thick with repair orders in it. And I tracked down the original owner and um, the phone numbers were on the repair orders from, you know, repair shops. And like, I'm just going to take a chance. And lo and behold, I got a hold of the owner and he was happy to, Nowhere a 72 Bronco. <laughs> now I send him pictures every time I, you know, make significant progress. And I send him a video when I got to run in. And, you know, I think for him, it, it maybe put a little spring in a step during a bit of a difficult time for us. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, it, it, you know, the, um, you, you had mentioned uh, the community and uh, it, the support of the communities. Um, we're going to have uh, quite a few new Bronco owners um, next year and mm -hmm. this year, the end of the end of this year and into next year. Um, You've mentioned the community a few times. How do what what communities out there um, are there resources? I know that you that video was one that you did, but um, for new Bronco owners, what are some of the resources out there that you might point them to? to? That's a great question. You know, when I uh, announced my retirement from Ford, I was fortunate that um, some people asked me to come back and, and work on Bronco because they knew that I was an enthusiast and it helped a lot of people find Broncos through the years at Ford and still do. And so part of, you know, my mission the first 90 days was to really do a deep dive on the communities and go out and meet them and ones that I didn't know um, and really understand the community. And uh, so that spawned kind of a working site called Bronco Club of America that I created. And it was inspired full transparency by Mustang Club of America because I spent a lot of time working with them. And that just gave me a channel to connect with people. Mm -hmm. Um, to get real-time feedback, to look at the, the data, quite frankly, like, you know, people do and understand where it's relevant, where it's not, and then see what people are interested in. And then ultimately those findings, um, you know, led us um, to create Bronco Nation. And so the formal site that, that uh, has been created is called Bronco Nation. And um, as we sat down and said, here are the components that are important to the community. And here are the components that Bronco Nation needs to deliver. We stumbled across this site called Overland Bound. And Overland Bound checked nearly every box. And, and you know, that led us, obviously, to a discussion with you guys about helping us out. And you guys have been mentoring us now four or five months. And uh, that's been incredibly helpful to, to help us get Bronco Nation up and running. We're just beginning, but back to your original question, the data, whether I was at Land Rover or Ford is pretty consistent. About 5% of people really put these vehicles into use. Mm -hmm. In that's some cases that's being generous as we all go to Starbucks and see, you know, what I call Starbucks Jeeps. And then you have the 95%, uh, the 5% to put them to use and the 95% that don't. And so I think for us, it's creating content and welcoming in that 95 mm -hmm. so that they feel welcome and that we hopefully facilitate an experience. And that experience could range from, you know, a basic trail to a basic meetup to something, you know, far greater. And internally, we kind of liken it 
you know, the triathlons. And if you've ever trained for a marathon or triathlon, you start with a 5K, go to a 10K, then go to a half marathon, then a marathon. We've tried to structure the content that we're rolling out initially to appeal to the 5%. But now that the new Broncos out, we're broadening out and creating content that will hopefully make the 95%, those people who are considering Bronco that are going to have to be converts or conquest from other brands to feel welcome and to find a place to get answers, to connect with other enthusiasts and, you know, to get involved because if you get involved, <laughs> you know, you're going to have a lot more fun with the product. Yep. That, and yep. We, yep. We, for, our, for our part in Bronco, we don't want them parts in garages. Ab- absolutely. And, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, that welcome experience, we, everybody starts somewhere, right? And so, you know, you start somewhere, grow with the community, and before you know it, you're creating those those memories and having those very valuable experiences that we all think, need in life. I think it was like the conversation you and I had with um, Jim Schofield, the average owner of a pair of Nikes runs an 18-minute mile, and that's okay. That's that's just fine. <laughs> well, look, I mean, now more than ever, the way things are in the world, the the, the need for you know quality human connection and community yeah. connection, it couldn't be more um, more needed. Uh, so having opening open communities um, that make people feel welcome and also prepare them to be safe as they pursue their passions outside um, is is key. Uh, Make looks sure like you're we still there. We lost your video. Looks like we lost your video, Robert. But are you still there? I am. Um, yep. I just got a low, low power. Yep. There we go. Okay. Hey, you're back. That's a good. That's a good sign. That's a good you're, sign. You're back. To wrap it up. <laughs> that was our. That was, our, was cue. our cue. That was our cue. You guys are. You guys are <laughs> running long now. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you. Yes, Robert, we certainly you're having to you're having a mind for something worth uh, air. <laughs> <laughs> Been, no, this has been. Oh, oh, cut that. This is not. This is going to be director's cut. Is what this is going to be yes. the full the full thing. Um, so hey, thank you for joining us today. So really, really appreciate yeah. it. Um, it's been great talking to you. You know, over the last few months, and and as as the Bronco has been has been building up, it's all very exciting. We really appreciate your time uh, today. Thank you.